Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Let's make our way into Scripture now. We've been in a series for these past few weeks called the fruit of the, or called bearing fruit. We're looking at what Galatians 5 calls the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, the, the good thing about a series like this is if this is your very first Sunday, uh, it's okay because you, you may feel like, wow, we've missed four or five of these messages. We're jumping in midstream. You kind of are, but this is the perfect series to do that because every message stands alone for the most part. And so, in a sense, yeah, you, you've come on a good Sunday because you're able to take a look at a, at a part of the, our message in the series that really ties in well with what we've looked at already this morning in the Lord's Supper. We can take the verse down. We're not ready quite for that yet, but we'll get there. Galatians chapter 5, you can just turn there. So, I'm just curious, how many of you will make a garden this year? Any of you will plant a garden? I'm, I'm curious. There were a lot of hands at the first service. Not as many, maybe in this one, but some of you will. So I've done a garden through the years, and um, uh, every time now in these last few years that I plant a garden, my dog eats it. That's the way our dog rolls. That's what she does. And uh, I put a fence up last year, and we did not pick one tomato. Our dog ate tomatoes all summer, and so um, she somehow figured out a way to get beyond the fence and get to where the tomatoes were. But some of you are probably gardeners. And by the way, this past uh, week, this weekend was just amazing weather. And so there's something about when you turn the calendar, tomorrow's March 1st. And when you flip the calendar to March 1st, it can be 30 degrees outside still. To me, it's spring. And we're kind of starting to move into that. And this weekend was a great reminder that spring is on the way. So you're probably thinking about gardens. Um, you were outside this week, saw some sunburned folks in the first service. And uh, I washed the truck and and uh, was outside. And it was just, it was good. By the way, if you're new to this area, um, the answer to your question you've been asking all weekend long is those are called sand gnats. That's the answer to the question you've been asking. They are flying teeth. They do not die. They only multiply. And Savannah is the hub for the whole entire world of the gnat population. And so that's what those are. But this is the time of year you start thinking about that kind of stuff. Sand gnats and gardens and that kind of stuff. So whenever you plant a garden, here's probably what's happened. You've gotten out there. Maybe you're soon to do this if you're going to do it. And, and you're, you've already got in mind what vegetables you want to plant. And you, you're going to start working the ground. You're going to till the ground. You're going to kind of, you know, just turn it over. You may put some compost in there. You may uh, go out and get your fertilizer, and you're going to plant seeds, or you're going to cheat like I do and go to Home Depot and get the ones that were planted by somebody else, and now the plants are this tall, and you're going to plant those things, right? Because that's the way real farmers do it, and um, at least island farmers. And, uh, and so you're going to do all that. You're going to pull weeds as you go. You're going to water. You're going to fertilize. You're going to really cultivate. But at the end of the day, you're not going to produce any any of the vegetables, let's call it fruit, right? You're not going to produce any of that that you want. God has to do that part. So it's somewhat of a shared responsibility. You do your part, you cultivate, you, you plant and water and feed and, and weed and all that stuff, but God has to produce the fruit on the stalk or the fruit on the vine. That's the way it works. And it's a perfect picture of this series that we've been looking at and what Galatians chapter 5 tells us, that there are things we need to do to cultivate nine godly qualities that we're about to read again in Galatians chapter 5. There are things we can do. We can cultivate. We don't till the soil, and we don't put fertilizer. We don't water, but we do spend time with God and His Word, and we do spend time with God in conversation. We call that prayer, and we do spend time with other believers who sharpen us because iron sharpens iron, and we do engage in worship, and we do uh, the things of obedience that God leads us to, and, and ultimately, as we spend time with here, we're transformed with God, uh, uh, transformed by God because of our time in His Word, 
what he does is, is as we cultivate that walk, he produces fruit through our lives. And so the whole series, Bearing Fruit, is built off of two verses in Galatians chapter 5. So now we're ready. Let's go ahead and take a look. This is what we've been reading every single message in the series, Galatians 5, verse 22 and verse 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, that's the terminology, and it's, again, it's beautiful terminology. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And the picture there is a very simple picture of these qualities that God wants demonstrated in our lives. Now, every single message in this series, I've given you a, a, a sermon point, if you want to call it that, a principle that we've applied every single week. You're going to hear it for the next few weeks as well. I just want to see how many of you kind of remember what it is. Let's take a look at it. This is the principle that runs through this whole entire series. Let's go ahead and bring it up, the one with the, with the blanks. Spiritual fruit does not come because we try harder, but because we press closer. Good. You get a gold star, right? Spiritual fruit doesn't come because we try harder. No matter how hard you tried in your garden to produce tomatoes or okra. Again, I grew tomatoes last year. My dog ate them. I grew okra, one of my favorite things to grow uh, a few years ago. My dog ate them right out of the, never even ate. I think we ate like one. Like, let's cook dinner. Who wants this okra? <laughs> you know? and, uh, but whenever you do this, right, when you work the garden and you, and you hope for the harvest, God has to produce it. Right, and you probably worked hard in a garden before, and you've wanted to get big produce. You've wanted to get, you know, we're going to grow our own cucumbers this year, and then ultimately you really didn't get a whole lot. Why? Because you can't make that happen. You can only do the work that leads to it, but God has to produce it. And in the same way for us, we can't go through life saying, you know what? It's up to me to build patience. It's up to me to build kindness. It's up to me to make my own joy. That doesn't work that way. God has to produce that. God has to ultimately accomplish that in our lives. But what we do is we press closer. And as we press closer, we spend time with Christ, cultivating our relationship with him. What happens is over time, we begin to see these qualities built into our lives. They begin to flow out. Love like we've never really seen it before. Patience like we've never seen it. Goodness like we've never seen it. Self-control we didn't have a few years ago, right? Not because we've tried harder, but because ultimately we've pressed closer. That's how spiritual fruit works. It, it's, it's, not, it's not a morality project, right? It's not like, okay, I've just got to go out and I've got to do better at being patient. I've got to do better at being kind. And we try to check those box and boxes. Of, you know, we open a door for someone with their arms full. And it's like, well, that was my kindness today. Check that off. You know, it's not the way it works. It's not a morality project. And if we treat this list, let's go ahead and bring the list up again, if we can, from Galatians 5. If we treat this list like a, you know, like a morality project, what's going to happen is we're going to begin, uh, we're going to become prideful. It's like, man, I am so joyful. I've done so good with that. I've been so good and I've got so much peace. I've cultivated so much peace in my life. And what happens is if we think that it's up to us, we get prideful and we become legalistic and we think that we're the center of the world. But when we understand the principle of fruit bearing, that we press close and he produces these qualities then he gets the glory, right? He gets the honor. He gets the worship. And he gets put on display when these qualities are seen through our lives. And on top of that, our lives are more fulfilled when these qualities are present rather than the opposite. And so fruit bearing, it's an interesting 
It's an interesting thing that God desires for us to see fruit produced by Him through us as we cultivate pressing closer to Him. So in this series already, we've covered four different aspects of fruit. One, we covered love, how it's an unconditional love, not a contractual, I will love you until, but rather a covenant love where we love people regardless. And it's because of the love that God has grown and shown to us. We looked after love, we looked at the quality of joy, that it's not built on our circumstances, it's, it's built on God's promises that He's made to us, the truth that He's conveyed to us in His Word, His character, right? Those things bring joy. That's what cultivates, that's what grows joy in us. Not having good circumstances, but knowing God and His character and His promises and His truth, that's what brings about joy in our lives. We looked at peace and how you can't have the peace of God without first having peace with God, right? True peace that the world offers just fades, right? It only lasts for a season. But genuine peace, right, the kind of peace that only God can give comes when we lay down our lives and say, Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you take over? Would you save me? And when we have that peace with God, then ultimately the peace of God comes in and begins to take residence in us. It doesn't mean we never face times of anxiety. It doesn't mean we don't struggle but his peace begins to pervade our lives. In the last Sunday, we looked at patience, right? And how patience is love stretched, that there are people in your life who stretch your love. There are circumstances that sometimes are difficult, that are unfair. And sometimes when we show patience, what's happening is we're demonstrating love that is being stretched, not broken, but love that is being stretched as we demonstrate patience towards people that can sometimes be, be difficult to us. And then today we add to it, the fruit of the Spirit, the fifth one that's listed in the list, and that is the fruit of kindness. The fruit of kindness. So think this through for a second. I don't want you to think in general, but specifically, can you think in your mind of an act of kindness that someone showed to you, right? Not generally, like, yeah, I'm sure somebody's been kind to me. I mean, I mean, goodness, somebody has been in my life, I'm sure. I mean, can you think of one particularly? And if you can, just slip your hand up real quick. I'm curious. I'm not going to call on you. I'm not going to ask you to come take a mic and share a story, right? So hands up all over. So we know, in a sense, what kindness looks like. And it was probably demonstrated in a variety of ways. It may have been someone who cooked a meal for you. Maybe your family was going through a tough stretch. Maybe you were uh, going through a time of, of grief or a time of loss or a time of recovery, and somebody said, you know what, we're going to bring some meals by for you. And it was that act of kindness that you thought of, and you said, you know, I can raise my hand, I remember that. Maybe it was somebody who did something simple, right? They, they checked your mail for you while you're out of town. You got those kind of neighbors, right? Some of your neighbors, you might not want them checking your mail because they're going to be going through it. But there are those that you know, hey, they're, you know, they're kind. Man. They're, I can trust them. They're going to check my mail for me. Maybe they cut your yard for you. Maybe you've got that kind of a friend who came. Maybe you were, you know, uh, uh, recovering from surgery and you couldn't get out there and it's June and the grass grows like overnight and your yard was out of control and somebody came and they cut your yard and you think, man, that was such an act of kindness. There's all these different examples of kindness that we think of. Here, here's a second principle that I want us to think because it ties in here. And the second principle is this, that kindness generally, I mean, authentic, genuine kindness starts on the inside, not the outside. And when we begin to think about kindness, we can bring that up on the screen. When we start thinking about kindness specifically, we have to kind of move out of the territory where kindness are these individual acts that we do. I cut my neighbor's grass. I held the door open for that guy at Kroger who had all those groceries in his arms. I, 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 I did this and I did that. We, we often think of kindness as just these acts and we check the box and we move on and we say, look at there, I was kind. 
I feel good about myself. I'm a kind person. I did this act of kindness. But we have to move back further behind that because kindness genuinely only starts on the inside and it plays itself out on the outside. I know this is a deep thought, but if we only view kindness... When Galatians 5 says that the fruit of the Spirit is kindness, if we only view that as specific acts, they're going to happen sporadically, usually when we're inspired and we hear a sermon about it or we read a devotion about it or our grow group focus that day is on it. And we go out and think, you know what? I'm so inspired. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be kind. I'm going to be more kind this week. And, and, we, and we take that upon ourselves. And that happens for a few days, maybe a couple of weeks. Before long, it begins to fade. But when kindness is something that comes out of who we are, right? It's a fruit of the Spirit, not that we produce, but that God produces in us. When it starts on the inside, listen, it doesn't take days off. And it doesn't begin to dry up and disappear after a couple of weeks when we don't feel inspired anymore. Kindness shows itself consistently over and over and over. There's a website called, um, I forget what the web address is, but it's basically Random Acts of Kindness. Y'all have heard of this, right? You've probably been familiar with this. It's been around for years. You go to the website, it's, it's a neat website. I mean, they've got a calendar, these calendar, where you can calendar kindness, right? So on March 1st tomorrow, it's going to tell you what you can do to be kind to someone. It's going to give you ideas of how to demonstrate kindness. So those are great. I mean, I'm not, I'm not knocking, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Those are great because sometimes we lose sight of how, all the different ways we can be kind. But what I'm saying is it starts on the inside, not on the outside. It's a fruit of the Spirit, ultimately, that God produces. And so if it starts with God, wouldn't it make sense then that there are going to be references to His kindness in Scripture? The answer is yes, absolutely. And I want to take a look at a few. The first one is in Isaiah. If you want to follow me in your church app, if you want to follow me in your Bible, or if you just want to look on the overhead behind me, Isaiah chapter 63 is the first one that I want us to look at, Isaiah chapter 63. And it's here that the prophet Isaiah shares a little bit of a glimpse into the character of God. Look at what he says here, Isaiah chapter 63. Look down in verse 7. He says, I shall make mention of the loving kindnesses of the Lord. It's a compound word, right? Loving kindnesses kindnesses, the loving kindnesses of the word of the Lord, the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his compassion and according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. What does Isaiah say about God? He is a God who is filled with loving kindness. It's a part of his character. It's a part of who he is. We don't often think about that as uh, that quality of God, do we? We think of God as loving, and we think of God as merciful, and we think of God as as a provider, but we don't often think about this picture of God that He's just kind. He's he's just a God who is kind to His own. He's kind to to the people that He has created. He is slow to anger. He He is filled with mercy, but He is just kind. Jeremiah kind of adds to that picture. Look over in Jeremiah chapter 9. He he even brings a little bit of another nuance into the kindness of God. Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and verse 24. He says, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. 
but let him who boasts boast of this. I love the way he says this. Like, don't be out there bragging. You know, don't be bragging about what you've done or what you've got or where you've been or any of that kind of stuff. But if you're going to brag, it seems like Jeremiah is saying, if you are going to brag, here, here's what God says. If you've got to brag about something, here's what I want you to brag about. Let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and he knows me. Right, that he understands. Don't be bragging about your accomplishments and, and accolades and all that. Here, your bragging point is on the God who made you, the God who saved you, and that you know him, that you have a relationship with him, that, that, that you understand him to a degree that because of how he's revealed himself in his word. That I am the Lord who exercises, here it is, loving kindness, justice, righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things. That, that's, that's what God delights in. He is a God of kindness, and he delights when he sees it demonstrated by his people. You move further into the New Testament, Romans chapter 2. Look, look, look at what it says here in verse 4. This ties in perfectly with what we celebrated with the Lord's Supper. I didn't stage all this out to where we preach on God's kindness and then celebrate the Lord's Supper the same day. But look at how it all works out. He says, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness? Right? Do we take for granted that God is a God who is rich in kindness and his tolerance and his patience, not knowing, listen to this, that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? I mean, is that powerful? God has that quality of kindness to such a degree that it is so strong to lead a person to say, what am I doing living life in my own terms? What am I doing wallowing in this sin? What am I doing having to deal with this separation from God? Let me lay down all of my sin and lay down myself and serve this God who is so kind as to come and die in my place and take my spot on the cross so that I can be made right with him. I mean, it's just such a powerful picture of this quality of God, that he is a God who is kind. You know, we rolled out a diagram throughout the course of this series where eight of these fruits of the Spirit all track back to love. They somehow connect to God's love. The one for kindness, you take a look on the screen, the one for kindness, I think, is, is love shared. That when we demonstrate kindness to someone around us, whether it's a neighbor or a coworker, or someone who's mistreated us or someone who... who um, you know, that, that we may know well, someone that we may hardly know at all. We cross paths with them. When we demonstrate kindness to them, biblical kindness, that's love shared. Not just embraced, not just accepted. Oh, God loves me. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. I'm going to embrace this love. I'm going to enjoy and bask in your love for me. What kindness is, is it says, thank you, God, for all of this, but I'm also going to extend it, demonstrate it, and share it with people around me. And it puts them on display. The third principle, you can jot it down. I know, I know this is a no-brainer, but I want to say it anyway. Kindness always involves another person. <laughs> You're like, thanks, Brooks. It's 1120, and uh, I got up early to come to church today to hear you tell me that kindness always involves another person. That's, that's true rocket science. Thank you. Brooks, you were brilliant to have figured this out, right? But here's the point I'm making. I mean, I know we know kindness always includes someone other than ourselves. Here's the point. Not all of the fruits of the Spirit here include someone else. Joy, right? You can have joy and be all alone. In fact, there were times where Paul virtually was all alone. Philippians, he writes it in a prison cell. And he writes a book primarily about joy. <laughs> 
right? You can have joy by yourself. You can have, you can have peace by yourself, right? You don't need other people around to have peace. Again, because if we have peace with God, we can have the peace of God in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. You don't have to have another person around to have peace. There have been many who are followers of Jesus in these last 12 months that have been isolated. Maybe it's because they are in a category where they cannot leave their house. We have senior adults who are part of our church family who are probably able to say, hey, let me tell you about isolation. That's been my life for the last 10 years. Long before a virus ever came, you know, they have peace. It doesn't include another person. It doesn't involve another person. But when you start thinking about kindness, now kindness isn't something you can keep to yourself. And isn't it cool how God included in the fruit of the Spirit that there's this component that as the Holy Spirit transforms us and molds us because we're pressing close and He's changing us as believers, that there's a component where it's not just all about our experience with God. Oh, I've got joy and I've got peace and I feel His love. But there's also this component where the Holy Spirit produces these qualities that ultimately benefit others directly. And kindness is one of those. Kindness is one of those where when we demonstrate it again, we are putting Christ on display. We are showing him for what he looks like. Principle number four, jot this down, and then we're going to unpack this one. I'll spend a little bit of time here before we're, before we're finished. Principle four, kindness must be cultivated by us. Remember, going back to that garden, we fertilize, we, we, uh, we plant. We're the ones who pull the weeds. We're the one who water, right? You cultivate that garden, God produces the fruit. Kindness must be cultivated by us in order to become a habit that builds into our character. And I hope I can communicate this well. Again, it's a, it's a deep thought. But it's not just about leaving here inspired and checking off a couple of kind boxes later this week. It's about it being so ingrained on the inside in our character because we have pressed close to a God who is immeasurably kind that it just sort of shows itself without us having to pull it, put it on a calendar. That's the kindness that the fruit of the Spirit is describing. So I ask your question. So what, what keeps you from being kind? You know? A while back, I went in a restaurant, called in an order. I call that cooking for me, at least. You know, I categorize that as cooking. Most of y'all wouldn't, but if I go pick up food from a restaurant, I cooked. I cooked dinner. You know, most of you guys understand. Ladies, you don't get that. It's, it's too deep for you to understand. But for the guys here, you understand what I'm talking about. So I called in and went and picked up some food, and uh, it, it just struck me. I, I don't think I'm a person who has thin skin, hopefully. I'm not like easily offended and I wasn't then I just it just struck me when I left I walked out and I thought man you know I went I picked up the food I paid the bill kind of left with it and um I thought that they weren't they weren't really mean I mean the 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 person wasn't rude I mean it's not like they were mean or, or 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 just spiteful towards me or rude or anything like that it's just they weren't nice you ever you ever had that kind of experience where it's like they weren't mean to me they just weren't really kind. You know, there are people that have probably said that about us at times. You know, not rude, not mean, just, just not kind. What, what, keeps, what keeps you from being kind in a way to where it's part of your character? I think if, I think if we've hit 
the nail on the head in this series. I think the primary reason we're not always kind in a way that reflects the kindness of God is because we're not yet at that place of maturity where we've pressed close enough. And, and I don't say that to say a guilt trip. I say that to myself as much as to anybody. I'm not saying if you're not kind, it's because you don't love Jesus. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying it's a reminder that in and of ourselves, we can't produce these things called the fruit of the Spirit. We can't just go out and manufacture kindness in a way that just flows out of who we are. It's a reminder when we think about those moments where we're not really kind the way we should be, then that should drive us closer and closer and closer to the heart of our God who is immeasurably kind so that He can cultivate it and produce it through us. Wouldn't it be interesting if we could get the people that we cross paths with this week whether you were in town or out of town or at work or at home or on a campus, let's just put them all in the room, right? It's just you and them and, and ask those people, hey, would you say I've been kind to you this week when I crossed paths with you at school or when I sat next to you in the cubicle b- beside you at work or whenever uh, you checked out my groceries? Would you say I was kind? What would they say? They probably wouldn't say, yeah, you're like mean. They wouldn't say that, but they might not say that you're marked by kindness. Why is that? Sometimes it's a maturity issue. Sometimes it's just because we're too busy, at least for me, too focused on our own stuff rather than on the people that are around us. Sometimes it's because we're too distracted or self-focused. We miss the opportunities. So let me just ask a couple of inventory questions before we start to head out. And I really want you to just answer this in your heart. Ask yourself, just take an inventory, kind of, you know, testing positive is such a bad thing nowadays. It'd be great if we tested positive for kindness. So kind of take an inventory asking yourself, do I test positive for this? Ask yourself this question, how do I treat people who have nothing to give me in return? How, how, do, how do you? Ask yourself that question. How, honestly, how do I treat people when they have nothing to give me in return? It's easy to give kindness to the boss, Right? when you know you're going to go into their office in a couple of weeks and ask for a raise. It's easy to be kind to those around you when you know you're going to be asking them for something in return soon. It's easy to be kind to those that we know love us so much that if we demonstrate kindness to them, it's going to be coming back to us you know, in, in no time. It's easy to be kind to those circumstances, but how do we treat people who have nothing to give to us in return? How do we treat people that may be on a different scale socioeconomically, uh, demographically, in regards to where they live, or maybe what the choices of their life have been, or people that are in a, in a, we just categorize them. That just sounds dirty to even say that, doesn't it? We just categorize them differently. How wrong should that be? James would light us up for that kind of a mentality, showing favoritism to people who we categorize as a different category than us. How do we treat those people who have nothing to give to us? Has a lot to say about whether or not there's kindness in here. Who can I thank today? That's a good one. Who can I just say thanks to today? I got a phone call from an old coach of mine who coached basketball in high school. He was a hard driver, man. He, he, um, but he was a good coach. Hadn't talked to him probably 20, 25 years. Somebody we both knew passed away. He reached out to me, called the church here actually, and uh, 
I got to talk to him. He was wanting to reach out to their family because he knew them. And, and we talked for 15 minutes or so. And I just told him, I said, I said, you know what? You poured into me in a way, and it wasn't necessarily a Christian way. I said, but there are some things that you poured into me that I still remember today. Some stuff that's come out messages that came from him. Standing around a sweaty, stinking circle after basketball practice and him saying it before we broke huddle. It still sticks in here. And I said, thanks for what you did back then. <laughs> Who can you say thanks to? I don't say that to glorify myself. I've missed far more opportunities to say thanks that I'm taking advantage of. The kind heart is a gracious heart. It says thank you. It's verbal kindness. Who can I serve today? Who can I serve? I mean, Lord's Supper, right? That's what our Savior did. He didn't come for a long weekend, give his life and head back to heaven. He came for 33 years, mocked, ridiculed, taken advantage of. Lived his life as a servant. Didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's kindness. <laughs> and when we serve someone else, who can we serve today that's putting that kindness on display? It's a, it's a, it's a physical kindness. Not a verbal kindness says thank you. It's a physical kindness. I, I think there's also like a material kindness too. Who can you give to today? Kind of reach into that pocket. Say, here, let me help out. And God's blessed me. I don't think he gave me this, you know, for me to be a cul-de-sac. I think he gave it to me to be kind of like a thoroughfare. And, and, you know, maybe what God's blessed me with isn't just for me. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's for another person. It passes through us to them. Who can you, who can you bless and show kindness to in a material way, right? And when you think about Scripture, there are so many examples of just absolute kindness that is far more than the little box-checking things that I often do or that we often do. It's Pharaoh's daughter at the edge of the river finding a baby in a wicker basket and taking him in to take care of, never knowing that he would be a central figure in the entire Bible named Moses. It's Nicodemus who came to Jesus undercover because he had too much to lose as a religious leader, who a few chapters later at the end of the book of John is now coming, coming to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus off the cross so that he can render a, pr a proper burial at great risk to himself. No longer a secret disciple as though that really exists, but one out in the open now through his actions, saying, that's my Savior, and I'm going to serve him even in his death. That's kindness. It's the woman who anointed Jesus with oil, with tears. It's the good Samaritan in the story that Jesus told, right? When the two religious people walk past with their, with, with their distractions and their self-focus, while the one that should have been the enemy took the man who had been beaten and gave him lodging out of his own pocket, and he bandaged his own wounds with his own physical hands, and he showed kindness to him. And yet, no greater kindness than the person of Christ. I think I might have found a new couple of favorite verses <laughs> this past week, at least for right now. Look at what it says in Titus, and we close with this. I feel like Paul. Paul said in one of his letters, like he said finally, like, five or six times. I feel like I'm doing that today. So finally, we are closing really. Look at what it says here. When the kindness of God our Savior 
and his love for mankind appeared. This didn't dawn on me. I know this didn't dawn on me until I was standing in this spot preaching this part of the message about an hour ago to our first service. This didn't dawn on me until on that spot that he, he doesn't he doesn't even name Jesus by name. He calls him kindness. <laughs> he doesn't say when Jesus, our Savior, appeared. He says when the kindness, he was, he, was embod- he was the embodiment of kindness. When the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds that we've done in righteousness. It's not about doing better. And he didn't come to chastise us because, dadgummit, you're not doing better. You're not trying hard enough. Just try harder and maybe I'll accept you. No, he came out of his kindness and he saved us, not by what we did, but according to his mercy, right? He died on our cross. He took our shame. He paid for it himself by the washing of regeneration, it says, and renewing by the Holy Spirit. He is kindness, and he calls us in the same way to demonstrate as believers that same kindness to those around us, not checking a box because it's up to us, but pressing in close and cultivating a relationship with Christ and asking God, Lord, would you produce that fruit in my life, the fruit of kindness, so that I don't miss opportunities, and so that I don't go through life just not being mean, but I can go through life stepping through the doors that you open for me through my lips or with my hands or from my pockets to be kind to people around us. And yes, they'll never get to heaven because we were nice. They have to hear the gospel still, but man, what better way to, to open a door to someone's willingness to hear than to just demonstrate the kindness of our Savior. So are you willing to be that person? It's going to come by pressing closer, not trying harder. And are you grateful for the kindness he's shown to you? <laughs> and if you don't know him, what's keeping you today from saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner, you're a savior. And today I turn from my sin and I embrace you to save and to take over my life. And he'll do it. I promise. Let's pray. God, thank you for producing these qualities in us that we can't even begin to produce ourselves. Lord, I, I, need, I need to be kinder. I mean, I really hope I'm not just a mean person, un, unfriendly or any of that stuff. But God, I know I miss so many opportunities just to be kind. And that's a heart issue. It's not a trying harder issue. It's a heart issue. So God, I pray that you'd produce greater kindness in my heart to demonstrate to my family that I love and to my friends and to my church family and to total strangers who are probably just beat down by this world and just need to see what you look like. So God, cultivate that, I pray. Produce that in me. Help me to cultivate a deep walk with you. And God, for those here today who don't know you, please help them to understand God. They're not going to ever meet you because they earned the right. They're going to meet you when they lay down their sin and invite Jesus to forgive and save. And God, thank you that when they do, you as the epitome of kindness will meet them even in a ditch with that attitude of heart of heart and trust. And you will save them. Thank you for meeting us wherever we were. 
for making us who, we're, who you want us to be, for not giving up on us. God, for that we praise you. In Jesus' name.